Harry Met, Virtual Traveller, and welcome to Stories from Law, a monthly podcast that invites you to rewild yourself through story by exploring nature, folklore, and the stories it inspires. My name is Dawn Nelson, and I'm an author and professional storyteller. The spring is here at last, and it's time to start sowing the seeds that will provide the food for the table in the summer. This month's theme is therefore, reap what you sow. And for this episode, I have some nature journaling from the garden as I plant up some dwarf fruit trees in big pots, the ballads called All the Chickens in the Garden, the folklore of some fruit and vegetables, and the story of the farmer and the boggart. But first, let's step outside and into the garden to replant those trees. So this month's theme is uh, Reap What You Sow. And I'm stood in the garage, which is at the end of my garden. And you might be able to hear the bells have just started ringing because it's a Sunday. So it's calling people to church, if you go to church on a Sunday. Um, However, I am about to repot some fruit trees. I have quite a small garden, it's about 30 foot of lawn so not a huge amount Um, and most of that is taken up with uh, chickens as I introduced those to you in another episode and uh, and so there isn't a lot of room for uh, vegetables um, but I I mean I could grow them but the chickens would probably dig them up so that's another factor which means that these days I don't tend to grow as many veg but I have got these three dwarf fruit trees I've got a cherry, a plum and a pear and they are self-pollinating fruit trees. Before uh, spring really gets going I need to repot these trees so that is what I'm doing now. I've got some enormous pots, two 50 litre bags of multi-purpose compost and I'm going to be repotting the fruit trees. So I've uh, placed all three of the pots where they need to be because these are enormous pots and once they're full they're going to be very difficult to move. So I've placed them on some big pot feet which look more like bricks than pot feet to keep them up off the ground and to stop the frost getting to them. I need to make sure they're in the right place and then I'm going to put some stones in the bottom of them for drainage and then start filling them with compost before transplanting the trees from the smaller pots to the bigger pots. You might be able to hear in the background 
This is Little Red. Last uh, month she started laying, didn't you? Started laying eggs for us, Little Red. And today she's just letting me know that she might be considering laying another one. Is that what it is? for peat-free compost because there is really no need for peat in the compost. Uh, we have a perfectly good multi-purpose compost now without peat in it and peat is um, the, the digging up of peat and using it particularly for compost and other things is uh, devastating natural habitats. So I have borne that in mind when I was buying my compost. So the reason I've got dwarf fruit trees is because uh, I can put them in a really large pot and they're reasonably easy to maintain. The chickens will dig up and peck at anything that is actually in the ground. So I need something that's going to be in pots up out their way because they're only bantams so they can't get that high. Although we'll have to wait and see. They are wily sometimes. Also, chickens were naturally kept in orchards. So I felt that it was fitting that we had three dwarf fruit trees in the vicinity of chickens. So my task is complete. The three fruit trees are now repotted in enormous pots, ready for the spring. I don't expect to get any fruit from them this year, but a few nice blossoms would be nice. I also had a chance to repot some other shrubs that I have out there, again in pots, to try and stop the chickens from digging them up with quite such vigour. So now all that is left to do is to make sure that they have enough water, because of course they're in pots, and over the summer it can get quite hot. Um, and then uh, hope that Mother Nature is kind. Next up, putting some solar-powered lanterns, just little ones, on the side of the chicken coop, ready for the summer. The ballad I'm singing for this episode is one that I almost sang for the episode about chickens but I felt that it was more appropriate for this episode in the end, and so I saved it. It's only a short song, but you may find that it becomes a little bit of an earworm once you've heard it, so you've been given fair warning. I once did know a farmer, a good and faithful soul. I used to work upon his farm and round his country home. He had an only daughter, to win her I did try, and when I asked him for a hand, the old man, he replied, Oh, treat my daughter kindly, don't do her any harm. And when I die, I'll leave you both my tiny little farm. My horse, my plough, my sheep and cow, my ox, my home, my barn. And all those little chickens in the garden. Well, I love this young girl dearly, I know that she loved me. And many a time I've walked around a smiling face to see. To watch her milk the brindle cow and see it doesn't do her any harm. And many a cup of milk I've drunk before I leave the farm. 
Oh, treat my daughter kindly, don't do her any harm. And when I die, I'll leave you both my tiny little farm. My horse, my plough, my sheep and cow, my ox, my home, my barn. And all those little chickens in the garden. Now the farmer's given his consent and married we will be. We'll lead a life of happiness in our home in the country. I'll try and keep that promise which the old man asked of me. She is my only child, so treat her well and kindly. Oh, treat my daughter kindly, don't do her any harm. And when I die, I'll leave you both my tiny little farm. My horse, my plough, my sheep and cow, my ox, my home, my barn. And all those little chickens in the garden. There is a multitude of folklore, folk medicine, mythology and legend associated with our fruit and veg and, of course, our field crops as well. So for this episode, I will just be looking at a few of these. Well, this would be a very, very long episode. But for now, let's start in the fields with the grains that have sustained us for thousands of years. Wheat is strongly associated with fertility. Most of us interested in folklore will know that corn dollies are made from the last sheaths of the wheat harvest and they hold the spirit of the crop. And these are typically hung in the farmhouses or kitchens to ensure a good crop for the next year. This spirit of the crop is actually present in many European countries and it's known in particular as the Feldgeister in Germany. It's more commonly known in Europe though as the Corn Mother. In Marseille, if you sow wheat in pots on the 4th of December and it sprouts before Christmas, well this is thought to bring good luck. And because of its association with fertility, wheat is often thrown over the bride at weddings. And on the subject of weddings, in an interesting tradition in Wales, there are two grains of wheat placed on a shovel and then set on fire. If both the grains jump off the shovel, then the couple are officially married. Young women would pick oats and count the grains on them to determine how many children they may have. In my research, I couldn't find exactly how they did this, but I assume given the oak stalks themselves could have 50 grains a stem and you're unlikely to manage 50 children in your lifetime, so they probably simply ran their hands along the stem and the grains that were left in their hands represented potentially the number of children that they would have. But this is just my assumption. If anybody knows, please do get in touch and let me know. In folk medicine, mashed up oats are supposed to be good for the skin and are said to ease eczema, nappy rash and insect bites. And they're still used very much today in skin treatments and moisturisers and bath bombs and all sorts of different things. A bit of folklore from Woodstock in Oxfordshire states that oats should have the church bells rung over them three times after they have been cut. So they must be left while the bells are tolled on three successive Sundays, otherwise there would be a sickness in the village. A cuckoo calling during the sowing of a crop of oats means that this crop is going to be a bad crop for the farmer. But if you do get out and manage to sow the field with oats in January, well then this will result in a plentiful crop. John Barleycorn represents the spirit of the barley harvest, a little like that corn mother from the wheat harvest. Robert Burns, the great Scottish poet, famously wrote a poem about John Barleycorn and within it are the seasons the character must endure. The poem ends with the lines, John Barleycorn was a hero bold, a noble enterprise. For if you do but taste his blood, twill make your courage rise. 
Twill make a man forget his woe, twill heighten all his joy, twill make the widow's heart to sing, though the tear were in her eye. Then let us toast John Barleycorn, each man a glass in hand, and may his great posterity ne'er fail in old Scotland. These lines remind the listener of not only the food Barley provides them with, but also the beer and other libations for the hard-working folk in the fields. This harvest spirit has its roots in Anglo-Saxon paganism, and it can be extrapolated from the Old English that the word bioa will mean barley. Some have even linked this to the poem of Beowulf because of the Beo and Beoa. But I think we can all agree that Beowulf is all about slaying trolls rather than reaping barley. Though perhaps it was a tough harvest one year and, well, the story kind of snowballed. Who knows? I'll let you decide. In Lincolnshire, on St Agnes' Eve, which is the 20th of January, a woman can scatter barley seeds beneath an apple tree in order to see the shadow of her future lover. The cuckoo again crops up with barley, no pun intended, for it is said that once the first ear of barley appears, it is an indication to the cuckoo that they should return to Africa for winter. Moving from the fields to the vegetable plots and allotments of your backyard. Artichokes have become increasingly popular in modern cuisine, and artichokes are actually a type of thistle and are thought to descend from its slightly tougher cousin, the cardoon. As an aside, cardoons make excellent cut flowers and they really do smell very sweet of honey. The artichoke origin story is held in a Greek myth. Whilst visiting Poseidon, a mortal named Sinara catches Zeus's eye. Seduced by Zeus, she becomes his lover and Zeus takes her to Olympus and makes her a goddess. Sinara becomes homesick though and returns to Earth without Zeus's permission. When she returns to Olympus once more, Zeus turns his wrath on her and throws her back to Earth, where she is transformed into an artichoke. In England, the artichoke arrived here from France and was a favourite of Henry VIII. In the US, it has been a favourite with the Mafia, as Ciro Terranova, the leader of a large Mafia family, was known as the Artichoke King. This was because he controlled the sale of the vegetable. So in conclusion, the humble artichoke has rubbed shoulders with vengeful gods, tyrant kings and mafia bosses. I bet you'll not look at your Four Seasons pizza in the same way again. Beans of various kinds appear in folklore across the world. It is thought to be particularly good to plant beans on various religious days. In Germany, the only work allowed on Ascension Day was to plant runner beans. And in Exmoor in the UK... A vicar, when he arrived to take up his position, was perplexed to discover that his whole congregation planted beans on Good Friday. This was also found to be so in a village in Surrey. A little like the white flowers of the hawthorn, the white flowers of the bean plant are thought to be associated with death and the souls of those who have departed, were thought to reside within the beans. In the Midlands and the UK, Miners believed that accidental deaths within the mines were more likely to happen when the beans were flowering in the fields. If you're wondering whether this association with death came about due to the smell of the flowers, as it is supposed with the mayflower, well, do not under any circumstances smell the bean flowers, for this is considered to be very dangerous indeed, and you may fall into a deep sleep forever. Pumpkins are an autumnal seasonal favourite, but... As I have mentioned before, they are not originally from the UK. 
In fact, it was Christopher Columbus who brought the pumpkin to the UK after his explorations of the New World, as he put it. Giant pumpkins were also thought to be the staple food of the Peruvian Incas. The pumpkin is in the family known as the cucurbits or gourds. This is a family which includes cucumbers, courgettes, marrows, squash, pumpkins and more. The cucumber appears in the Christian Bible in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 8. It says, And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Quite an image. This is thought to refer to the huts often found in the Nile Valley or the Levant. The huts are where watchmen would sit to watch over their precious fruit and vegetables. The reference to cucumbers is because cucurbits grow very well near the Mediterranean shores, and if they had been left unattended, well then they would have been stolen. If you want a productive crop of cucumbers, it is said that planting them when the stars are aligned in Gemini will produce double the crop. So you heard it here first, folks. Get yourself a little hut for your cucumbers to keep them safe and make sure that the stars are aligned in Gemini. The Allium family is another large family of vegetables and includes the humble onion. The onion is famous for having many layers and Charles Dudley Warner in his book My Summer in a Garden, published in 1871, said The onion and its satin wrappings is among the most beautiful of vegetables and is the only one that represents the essence of things. It can be said to have a soul. Bear that in mind next time you're cutting up onion for your stew. The best day to plant onions is Ash Wednesday and in France onions are planted on Palm Sunday. If it's shallots you're after well then the shortest day is the day to plant those and then the onions will swell with the returning of the light. If you have a fickle lover who is on and off with their affections then pricking an onion all over with new pins and placing it in the oven will sort that out, apparently. Although I'd say you're probably best just to cut your losses, in all honesty. If you place a specially selected onion under your pillow on St Thomas Eve, that's the 21st of December, then this is a night when the spirits are thought to walk the earth and you will be granted a vision of your true love. You also might find it difficult to sleep with the onion under your pillow. The onion is also thought to be able to predict the type of winter we will have. Thin, soft skins and we will have a mild winter. Thick, tough skins and we will have a harsh winter. Garlic is another allium, very famous for protection, most famously against vampires. In folk medicine, it is thought to cure measles and even leprosy. And the French used garlic for its antibacterial qualities to wash the wounds on the battlefield. The leek also a member of this family, is a symbol of the Welsh Guards. And in AD 640, King Cadwallader defeated the Saxons with his troops. And these troops were famous because in their hats, they all wore leeks. Hence, it is now the symbol of the Welsh Guard. So that's enough vegetables to create yourself a nice folkloric stew. So let's move on to fruit. The apple is steeped in folklore, sometimes literally. In Latin, it is the Malus Domesticus, and I have mentioned it on the podcast before. As I say, there is a lot of folklore involved with the apple. It represents temptation in the Christian mythology, eternal use in the Norse mythology, discord in the Greek mythology, and peace within Chinese culture. 
One of the most common phrases you will find in the UK is an apple a day keeps the doctor away. People still use it to this day and it refers to the health benefits of eating your daily portion of fruit. This has in part been replaced though by the now equally well-known phrase, have you had your five a day? This refers to the five portions of fruit and veg that the National Health Service advise that you should eat on a daily basis in order to stay healthy. In Switzerland, when a boy is born, you should plant an apple tree for him and a pear tree for a girl. If the tree thrives, then so will the child. I'm not sure I'd want to risk it personally, but there we go. In Central Asia, folk medicine advises that women wishing to have a child should roll around on the ground beneath an apple tree or carry apple tree bark about their person. If an apple tree bears a lot of fruit, then this foretells of twins for the owner of that tree. This folklore is of course all tied up in the symbolism of fertility which surrounds the apple. And this is also represented in the wassailing tradition which continues to this day in the UK. It takes place anywhere between New Year and the 17th of January really. And it involves singing to and celebrating the orchard trees in the hope that they will bring about a good crop for that year. It's traditionally celebrated on Twelfth Night, but Twelfth Night now in the new Gregorian calendar is the 6th of January. But in the old calendar, it was the 17th of January, which is why I say that wassailing really happens any time between those dates. Moving back to Christian mythology, the fig tree is sometimes seen as the tree of knowledge rather than the apple. The Greeks believed that the god Saturn discovered the fruit of the fig tree. And in Roman legend, the basket carrying the twins Romulus and Ramus becomes caught in the roots of a fig tree, securing their rescue by the she-wolf Looper. During the 18th century, rather bizarrely, the fig tree was considered the tree of choice for the wealthy, eccentric Englishman, and so it became deeply mistrusted by the common man. Nowadays, the fig tree has come to symbolise knowledge and wisdom, for Buddhists, it is thought that Buddha himself achieved enlightenment while sitting beneath the boughs of a fig tree. The fig tree, in some law, is said to bring about calm, and even a raging bull, if tied to a fig tree, will become placid and tame. Again, I'm not sure that's something that I want to try out. Supernatural beings are also associated with the fig tree, as it's thought that they are portals to other worlds, and you fall asleep beneath one at your peril. So... If you are on an allotment where there is a fig tree and there are beans, well, hmm, that is double peril. As far as I'm concerned, just don't fall asleep there. The pomegranate is arguably one of the most famous fruits in mythology, as this is said to be the reason why we have the seasons. Persephone, when taken to Hades, was allowed to return to Earth only if she never ate the food of the underworld. She is, however, tricked into eating six pomegranate seeds. And so she is destined always to spend six months underground and six months above. Hence, when she is underground, it is autumn and winter. And when she is above it, it is spring and summer. It is also said in English folklore that if you carry a piece of the pomegranate about your person, it will protect you from witchcraft. So if you put all of these fruits and vegetables together, other than an enormous feast, what do you get? You get the cornucopia. And this has become a symbol of plenty and represents the fruits of the earth. The origins of the cornucopia also has us visiting Greek mythology, and this time it's Zeus's foster mother, Almathea, who creates the aforementioned. Almathea fed Zeus on goat's milk when he was a child. Legend has it that one day the horn of the goat fell off, 
as a gift for Zeus, Almathea filled the horn with fruit and flowers. Pleased with his gift, Zeus took it and placed it in the sky. And there it became a constellation. And we can see from this that from a very young age, Zeus was fond of creating star constellations out of various objects and people. The cornucopia is also associated with the goddess Demeter, as she is the goddess of the harvest and farming. In the US, the cornucopia is now inextricably linked to Thanksgiving, and many use it as a table decoration for the feast. So where does all this produce feature in story? Well, all over the place. In feasts for kings, hard-working farmers, and even lazy Italian peasants like Perawantu, which is a story by Giambattista Basilei, and I talk a little more about that one in this month's zine, which is across on my Patreon. The story I'm going to tell you this month, though, is a trickster tale. It features good hearty crops like turnip, kale, and of course, the all-important wheat. It is, of course, the story of the farmer and the boggart. A long time ago, there was a man who had spent many years travelling. He had not set down roots, and so he did not have his own land. He felt that now had come the time for him to acquire himself a small piece of land in order to grow his own food and maybe build a little house and become self-sufficient. So for him, it was very fortunate that in the village where he currently found himself, there was a farmer who was selling a whole field at a very good price, and into the bargain he was throwing an ox and a plough. Now even though this ox was coming towards the end of its working life, this was still a very good deal. So the man took the deal and the very next day he set to work ploughing the field. He had barely harnessed up the ox to the plough when out from underneath one of the hedgerows surrounding the field came a little voice. This is my field! The creature that belonged to the voice, emerged from the hedgerow. It was a strange-looking being with long pointy ears, a long pointy nose, gangly arms and legs, and, well, it was covered completely in hair from head to foot. Now, like I say, this man had travelled and he had seen many things, and so he knew this creature was a boggart. I think you'll find that this is actually my field, said the man. I have paid for it fair and square. Well, I was here first, said the boggart. Now, the man knew that boggarts were tricksy things, and he knew he was going to have to be careful or the boggart might just curse him. And then, well, nothing would grow in his field and nothing would go right for him. So he thought for a while. OK, said the man, I have a proposition for you. Let us share what comes from this land 50-50. I will let you choose whether you have everything that grows above the land or everything that grows below the land. Seems fair to me, said the boggart. And the boggart thought for a while. He had seen the previous farmer grow crops, golden crenellations of corn, susurrating barley and gently nodding oats. I will have everything that grows above the land, he said. So the man set to work again in the field. The boggart left happy that he had struck a good deal, and the crop was sown. That year, though, the man grew turnips. The time came for the crop to be divided between himself and the boggart. The boggart reappeared, and when he discovered that his half of the crop, the crop that was above the land, was nothing but leaves, and that the fresh, ripe, plump turnips that lay beneath the ground all belonged to the man. And that was where all the goodness and value lay. Well, he was angry and he demanded that the next year the man give him whatever grew beneath the ground. 
man set to work once more, and this year he grew kale. So when the boggart arrived for his share, he was again furious, because this time he only received roots. Right, said the boggart. We will split the field down the middle, not the top, not the bottom, down the middle. Very well, said the man, and the boggart disappeared back into the hedgerow, steam coming out of his ears. Now the man had a problem. How was he going to avoid having to give the boggart half of his crop, half of his hard-earned work, half of the profit that would see him through the next year? So, well, he did what many have done over the years, and he visited the local wise woman of the village. He explained to her his boggart problem, and she said, well, there's no need to worry. There was a simple solution, for all of the fairy folk can be repelled with iron. All the man needed to do was place iron rods in amongst the boggart's half of the crop. And when the boggart came to try and scythe his half of the crop, he would not be able to. So the man set about growing wheat tall enough to cover the iron bars, which he then pushed into the ground and amongst the crops when all was good and tall. The crop ripened in the sun, a glowing golden patch ready to reap, and the boggart appeared. Now I will have what I am owed, exclaimed the boggart. And so the boggart set to reaping his side of the field. But of course, as soon as he swung his scythe anywhere near the iron, the pain that it caused in his whole body was too much for him to bear, and the boggart could not crop his half of the field. So it was that the boggart became so incandescent that he stamped his feet so hard on the ground that he disappeared beneath the earth, never to be seen again. And from that day forth, the man never ever had a boggart problem on his land. He was prosperous and lived a happy life. And if he is not still reaping the rewards of his hard work, well then, dear listener, he is no longer on this earth. Thanks for listening, folks. I hope this has inspired you to go out and plant some produce in your back garden or on your windowsill if you don't have a garden. Just watch out for those figs and those beans. If you have enjoyed listening to this episode, then please do leave me a review either on Apple iTunes or on my Facebook page. Both are very welcome and really help me to grow the audience for this podcast. Over on my Patreon this month, amongst other things, there is an e-zine packed with feasting recipes, information on what plants you might grow in a small space in your garden, and stories associated with fruit and vegetables. There is also a mindful moment for well-being in which we head out into the garden to plant a twisted hazel. You can find the link to join my Patreon, which is called Rewild Yourself Through Story, in the show notes. As always, you can find me on Instagram as dd underscore storyteller, on Facebook as dd storyteller, and on Twitter as dd underscore storyteller. Do come and say hello, as I would love to tell you another story. Until then, I'll see you next time. Toodle pip. <laughs>